answer. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Okay, well, I'm Alan, as you heard. Um, I'll just start off telling you, uh, it's, it's interesting to be longing for things. When I was uh, 10 or so years of old, my parents bought a new electric mono record player. It only had one speaker, and it replaced the old wind-up one we had that used to, we used to play Dad's 78s on. But I had two older brothers, one was five years older than me and the other six, so they were you know, mid to late teens and they started buying records. And they had pretty good taste. They brought Simon and Garfunkel's first album, Tea for the Tillerman by Cat Stevens, uh, The Seekers. But two records they bought really I loved and they were Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Abbey Road, two albums by the Beatles. And I instantly became a huge Beatle fan at that young age. So. You can imagine my disappointment when, at 1970, they broke up. But all through the 70s, there was constant media reports and things on TV and magazines that they were going to get back together and they were going to make another album. And I'd get really excited and I'd long for that day, which never eventuated. And eventually, obviously, John Lennon was assassinated in 1980 and that dream ended. But some people long for things that do happen. Uh, 
You know, I, as you know, a lot of you know, I go and do work in ministry, work in prisons, and I can tell you, people in prisons long for that day of their release, and so do their families, and there's, there's joy and celebration when that happens. Um, something nearly all of us can relate to is the expected birth of a child. Uh, obviously, the parents and the siblings, but well, the grandparents too, and it's such a joyous occasion that uh, we celebrate that date every year for the rest of the baby's life. Well, here in Luke 1, we're going to see the realisation of something that the Israelites have been longing for for hundreds of years. So we're going to first just look at what they're longing for, why is it they're longing. Um, then we're going to look at the first half of Zechariah's song of prophecy, praising God. Then the second half of it, which really answers question posed in verse 66, what is this child going to be? And then just quickly look at how it applies to us, uh, the confidence and how to deal with doubt, that we're, the confidence we see in Zechariah, um, and then the ongoing proclamation of the gospel, John's ministry continues, and thirdly, just that enabling it talks about to live holy and righteous lives. So. As we look at it, it'd be good for us to pray first. Let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this word. Thank you uh, for these wonderful words. Uh, and thank you that these prophecies, we just see them coming true here uh, so perfectly in Jesus. So yeah, just help us to understand it. Help us to, be, uh, to, to really know the gospel of Jesus, to know the power, to know the relationship we're in with you, the living God, because of Jesus, and have, that, have us grow in that. Uh, that your Holy Spirit would open us up to that, to live lives to your glory. And just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've always struggled a bit to understand why what would literally be tens of thousands of people in uh, Israel would flock out into the wilderness to see this strange guy dressed in camel hair clothes in the wilderness. Uh, it tells us in Matthew 3, People went out to him from all Jerusalem and, sorry, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Why were vast numbers of people going out to see this guy in the wilderness? Um, well, and this passage answers that for me in a lot of ways. But look at their history. Over the last 800 years, Israel has had a shocking run of enemy invasions. They've had the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Greeks, and now the Romans come in, conquer them, and occupy their land and subjugate them. Um, for those of you who are doing the daily psalm reading that the church sends out on the email, um, it's amazing how many of the psalms are just, I've noticed are crying out, help, rescue us from our enemies. But when you, when you look at their history, you can understand why they're constantly doing that. Um, it just seems that God's protective arm for Israel has been removed these last 800 years. Also, God has been silent for hundreds of years. Uh, his presence left the temple 600 years earlier. There's been no prophet of God since Malachi 400 years earlier. They are downtrodden, they are conquered, and their God is silent but they're not without hope. Prior to this age of silence, they've got hundreds of prophecies um, where God has promised to come as a man and restore his kingdom forever. 
I'm not going to read them out, but you go to yourself and read Daniel 7 and Isaiah 9. A saviour, a messiah who is God himself will come and rescue Israel and restore Israel. He's going to call people out of every nation and he's going to establish a kingdom that will last forever. And before the coming of that messiah will come a prophet like Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, the last prophecy God has given before his 400-year silence through Malachi, right at the end of it, God said, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Also in Isaiah 40, it will be a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. So they're expecting, it's, it's a, the longing is an expectation, a prophet to come and pray, prepare the way for this messianic king. And here in this passage, here, there, uh, in Joseph and Elizabeth's son, things are starting to happen, things that were prophesied. And God has announced this in various ways. He's done things that are quite miraculous. Um, God's done things before, before the sending of a great prophet or a huge important birth in, in God's, when God's working, he's caused miraculous births, miraculous pregnancies. Um, he did it with Abraham and Sarah for the birth of Isaac. He did it with the birth of Samuel. Uh, barren and aged couples beyond the age of childbirth became pregnant and he's done it here with John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's a huge signpost in the Bible. Someone incredibly significant is going to be born. And again, at the birth of John, some things happen that cause a great stir among the people. Completely against tradition, the parents, John's parents insist he is to be named John, which means the Lord is gracious or the God of grace. His very name is an announcement that God, the God of all grace, is about to fulfill his word. Another miraculous sign, nine months ago, uh, John's father, Zechariah, was struck dumb, unable to speak. Doesn't mean he was stupid, but he couldn't speak. And now at the eighth day of circumcision and the naming of, Zachar uh, of John, Zechariah is healed instantly of his inability to speak. Now, these, all these events are huge signposts to the people of Israel that God is at work, mighty things are happening, and God is going to fulfill all these promises. And in our passage, we're told that the news of these events spread all over the hill country of Judea. Now, that covers a lot of people. It covers towns and villages. It, it includes Jerusalem itself. And everyone who heard this, verse 66, everyone who heard it wondered about it. And they were asking this question, what then is this child going to be? And it, through that, you can feel that air of excitement. Could this be the promised prophet? Is this the forerunner to the arrival of the Saviour who will establish this eternal kingdom and destroy our enemies? So through, through doing this, it's answered my, my uh, conjecture why so many people flocked out. Um, this nation's been waiting hundreds of years for this to happen. So uh, the prophetic song... Uh, it indicates exactly this. This is exactly what Zechariah now tells you through this prophecy of song that he points out. So that's our second point, looking at uh, the first part of uh, Zechariah's song, looking at from verses 68 to 75. Just before we do, just a little aside, it's just interesting to note, Zechariah is 
of the line of Aaron of the tribe of Levi. He's been born into a priestly family. He's a, a priest of the Old Testament. He would be serving in the synagogue and perhaps the temple at times. Um, he would spend his life studying and teaching the Old Testament part of our Bible. What we have here is an Old Testament priest building this bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, all the promises of God, all the prophecies of the Old Testament are being fulfilled through John and ultimately in Jesus. Um, Zechariah is announcing that his son is the voice in the wilderness who prepares the way of the Lord, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, so let's have a look at these amazing words of Zechariah's from God. Well, you might expect that on this, on this day of all days, Zechariah's first words might be about his new son, but they're not. Uh, they're in praise of God for what he has done. And I don't know if you picked up while Christian was reading there, um, in verse 66, I don't know if any of you picked up the past tense of what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has uh, come and redeemed his people. He has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Jesus is not even born yet, but Zechariah is so certain of God's word being fulfilled, he describes Jesus or the Messiah's appearing and saving work as already having happened. What faith, what, what conviction the Holy Spirit has put in Zechariah's heart. Um, and it's exciting. We have that same Holy Spirit in our, our hearts. And as Liam pointed out very well in the last few weeks, all the prophecies we read here are steeped in links with the Old Testament. Horn of salvation, uh, there is a direct quote from Psalm 18, verse 2, which describes the Saviour God. It's, it's another of the many ways Jesus is described in the Bible. And it can't be referring to John the Baptist, because John the Baptist is from the house of Aaron. It's Jesus who is from the house of David. And why has God come to his people? To bring salvation, just as he promised through his prophets of long ago. Uh, verse 71, he's come to bring us salvation from our enemies. So we need to ask the question, who are these enemies that the Messiah is going to save us from? Now, certainly the Israelites would have been thinking of the Romans, as did the disciples later, and, and the people of Israel during Jesus' ministry. But that is not the message we see here or from Jesus at all. In Matthew 21, an angel appears to uh, Joseph, Jesus' father or stepfather, um, and he tells him exactly what Jesus' mission will be. He says, you are to give him, him the name Jesus because he will save his people. He will save, sorry, he will save people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath of God into an eternal relationship with God. And the enemies defeated us, sin and death and Satan. And that's going to be John's message to the people. He says when he first sees Jesus at the Jordan, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 72 says, The Messiah is coming to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. I won't go through all the covenant because Liam just did it really well through communion there. But when it says remember there, it's not 
saying God just recollects it. Oh, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it means to fulfill it. I remember I owe you $10, here it is. That's what God's doing. He's fulfilling his covenant. Um, and that's summed up really well in 1 Corinthians 20, where it says, all the promises of God are fulfilled or are all yes in Christ Jesus. Um, now, I said earlier uh, there, I said in Luke 1, we have this Old Testament priest showing a, a, a bridge between the Old Testament and the New. And he's stating, that, he's stating that clearly to the Israelites of the day, but he's also doing that for people today. If you have Jewish friends who reject the New Testament of Jesus, take them to, John, to Luke 1. Um, they accept God's, God's Old Testament as his inspired word, that Old Testament is a foundation on which Christianity is built. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills all the prophecies, all the promises of God. Verse 74 and 5, he's, this, this Messiah comes to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We're saved by, saved by God to live lives of worship and obedience. That is the simple formula of the gospel. And it's the thing that so many people outside the church get wrong. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for them. Salvation is a one-off perfect event that happens when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And that, that formula is right here in this passages, passage, and it's right through the Bible. The lives we live to Jesus' glory are the result of his saving work in us, not the cause. They don't contribute to our salvation, but they are evidence of it. And there's a wonderful word in that verse. I don't know if you picked up. There is a word, enable. God enables us to live holy and righteous lives. What a wonderful encouragement that we are enabled, power from the God-creator God, God himself through the indwelling Holy Spirit to, to challenge, to convict and change us to be more like his son, Jesus. And one last point from verse 75, we're called to do this before God all our days, to live before him. We live in the presence of God. Jesus didn't come to put God back in the temple uh, Jesus is now brought the Holy Spirit. God now lives in the hearts of his people. God lives within his church. We're in a close relationship. And the one who convicts and enables that empowering to live holy and righteous lives is here in you if you're trusting in Jesus. Um, the, these, these gospel in these verses of Zechariah is just so clear. Jesus the Lord is going to come with power and deal with sin once and for all and fulfill the promises of God for his people. Uh, and who will prepare the people of Israel for this salvation? John the Baptist. So now we'll have a look. Zechariah finally gets on to talking about his son. And this section answers that question in verse 66. What then is this child going to be? Zechariah confirms his son John is the messenger of Malachi's prophecy by applying it to John. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And that's also confirmed by Jesus himself speaking to the crowds in Matthew 11. Jesus said, Why did you go out into, into, what did you go out into the desert to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, that's in Malachi, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then in uh, continuing on in that passage, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. That link there again between the Old Testament and the New, confirming God's word being fulfilled. And John's message is to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. How will John do that? Well, he certainly announces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But leading up um, to that, John's message is calling people to repent as preparation uh, for the coming Messiah. He's there convicting them of their sin and their need for a saviour. Uh, Zechariah says it in verse 77 uh, he does it with a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins not by your own strength but verse 78 because of the tender mercy of our God I think that's one of the most beautiful lines in the Bible because of the tender mercy of our God God in his tender mercy takes the punishment for our sin so that we'll never have to. How will this tender mercy come? The rising sun will come to us from heaven. That's another reference to Malachi chapter 4. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The light of life is coming. And to make it absolutely clear that we understand this sun of righteousness is Jesus, Zechariah then immediately quotes directly from Isaiah 9. The light is coming to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Why is that significant? Because Isaiah 9 then goes on to tell us what that great light is. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it with righteousness, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What will the light of life do? He will guide us into the path of peace. What peace is he referring to? Because Jesus tells us he doesn't bring, come to bring peace in this world. He brings a peace much more valuable and much more lasting. Jesus brings us peace with God. If you're in Jesus, you can come before the throne of God in perfect righteousness and perfect justice. Your sin is paid for perfectly and you have the righteousness of Christ. That is the good news of Jesus and it still is. So what does all this mean for us today as we live in this light of Christ now? Well, I want to talk a little bit about the confidence that we saw there from Zechariah, the first part of his song. Um, it's such an amazing confidence, so sure of God's promises that he speaks of Jesus' coming and his saving work as already having happened. I know he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but we have that same Holy Spirit. So how can we grow in our confidence and assurance in Jesus? 
Well, James says you do not have because you do not ask. A, one, a wonderful example for us to follow is in Mark 9, 24. A father brings his sick child to Jesus and uh, Jesus says to the man, you need to have faith, you need to believe. And the man answers Jesus and he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's such an honest passage. If you're struggling, if you're going through tough times, as all of us will, if you're wondering where God is, why he seems not to answer, we can be honest with him. He who knows our innermost being. You can say, Lord God, help me in my unbelief. Help me to know and trust your, your promises in all circumstances. There is a promise of God yet to be fulfilled. Jesus is, is to return. And we can have the same confidence as Zechariah and live with that knowledge that all God's promises are yes in Jesus and that knowledge and belief should guide our hearts and lives. The ministry of preparing the way and proclaiming Jesus goes on. It didn't finish with John the Baptist. Uh, he may no longer hear, but there is a, still a world of people out there lost. And it's not like we're less powerful than he was. Remember, I read a bit to you from Matthew 11. Jesus says those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. That's you, Lake Mac brothers and sisters. What a great encouragement. We have the word and the power of God at hand, and we need to trust in that. We need to step out. We also have the testimony of millions of Christians who have lives changed. I didn't become a Christian till I was over 30, but I knew quite a few Christians. Um, not least was an older brother who had become a Christian in his late teens, and uh, he changed amazingly after that. Now, I, even though I ridiculed and rejected their witness and I rejected Jesus, they still had a profound effect on me. Now, you may be unaware or you may even feel you're having no influence over those who, who you know who reject your faith and reject Jesus. Um, but your own life being transformed and made holy is an incredible witness to those around you. And that brings me to the final point that enabled to live holy lives to serve Jesus, to enable to live that life of godly witness. The constant challenge to live lives in obedience to Jesus is ongoing, and the temptations are constant. They're constant for all of us. Greed, sexual immorality, self-glorification surrounds us, and Satan constantly tempts us with this stuff. Jesus makes some really big statements. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, Jesus is not promoting self-mutilation, but he is using really extreme language here to show the seriousness of sin. We're called to love Jesus, and he says, those who love me will obey my commands. We cannot choose sin and serve Jesus too. I, I, certainly we will sin. I know the Bible says we are still sinners, but we can't choose to go on living in it and wallowing in it and leave it unaddressed once we become aware of it. How many ministries have been destroyed by sexual immorality and greed and corruption? Jesus is saying to us, deal with sin if you are tempted, as we all are. Take action. The first steps always repent and pray to God for power and wisdom. But take action too to change. Um, 
as I said, I visit prisons. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a large prison in New South Wales and I attended a couple of services and I was about to go home and one of the chaplains said to me, he said, I run a Bible study this afternoon with some guys who've become Christians in jail. Would you, um, would you like to come along, stay and attend? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Um, six guys attended. Uh, they'd clearly become Christians. It was a great study, great discussion. There's something about people in prison, um, particularly those that have become Christians while there, that, that veneer that we tend to carry around of self-righteousness, you know, that good person I am, it's been stripped away and there's a real raw honesty um, and openness to vulnerability that's really confronting and to me is quite challenging. And at the, towards the end of the study, the chaplain asked them just to discuss if there's anyone wanted to share things they were struggling with. It's a, he said it's a safe space here, it doesn't leave here, that's why I'm not telling you where it was. Um, and these guys opened up and they talked about their struggle to trust Jesus in everything. And there's one young guy there who is soon to be released and he spoke of his struggle with sexual sin, particularly pornography. We men are particularly susceptible to pornography and it's, it's readily available on the internet today. There was an open and honest discussion about just how dangerous and destructive this stuff is. And then the chaplain opened up and he told us that what he's done, he's installed a program called Covenant Eyes, which is a Christian program on all his devices um, and it monitors his internet activity and it sends accountability reports to people he has uh, that he trusts to be accountable to. Now, I, I know that's not the only temptation. Uh, ladies, I'm sorry if I'm picking the men out, but um, it's a great example of taking steps. The wonderful news is that if you do it, God is, it is God who is enabling you to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We live now with the truth that John the Baptist was sent to declare. It's been revealed. It's now history. Jesus has come. He's risen from the dead. He reigns. Um, he came and lived the perfect life we can't live. He went to the cross and took our place. Uh, he took the wrath of God so that we will never have to. And he rose from the dead and he reigns forever. Lake Mac Church we are his witnesses in this place until he returns or we die. So know the power that lives in you. Live it out and declare it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the way all these prophecies of the Old Testament suddenly make so much sense and line up. Thank you, Lord, for the saving that Jesus is the saviour and all who come to him, all who repent and trust in Jesus will be saved, everyone who calls on his name. Lord, thank you that you come into our lives with power. Lord, help us to, to seek your power, to pray to you, to, to, to be putting sin to death, to, be, to have lives even though we can't see it, Lord. To, we know that a changed life has a huge impact on people. Help us to live those changed lives more and more. Uh, yeah, help us to exhibit a joy in the gospel that radiates out from us, that people will know and, and want to share in this great joy and peace that surpasses understanding. Equip us and guide us to know you, Lord, to love you and serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, there's sure to be some tricky questions saved up for Alan. So. 
Lauren scratching his head or has he got a really good question? No, he's just itchy. That's great. Ah, oh, Sue. Oh, you almost got out, Alan. That's all right. <laughs> and then Anna next. Anna's got four, so brace yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> a question about your young man, um, in, the men in prison. Um, do you think that they are so open to God because they've got nothing to give up, nothing to lose? Whereas when you talk to people in general public, you're asking them to give up stuff that they value. Okay. Uh, did you all hear the question? What do I think uh, because they've got so little, uh, they'll, they, they're, I think they're definitely seeking, they're looking for answers. Um, obviously they're saved because God stepped in the Holy by the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit. I tend to think, and I've thought about it a lot, Jesus is constantly criticised in the Gospels for going and uh, mixing and preaching to sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and publicans, people that are rejects of society. And I think those people, they've been rejected, their sin's been exposed, that veneer of righteousness has been shattered. And I think that applies to people in prison as well. I think they're in that state. But ultimately, it's the grace of God, isn't it, that they're saved, I, I, I think, yeah. But I think those guys in prison, as I said, there's an openness and a joy. The most common testimony I hear in prison from Christians in prison is coming to prison is the worst thing and the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's, I, I, I nearly burst into tears every time I hear that. I think that's such a wonderful thing. Mm. Anna. Can you hear me? I can. Um, so if Zachariah was in the priestly line, and Elizabeth was from the daughters of Aaron. Does that mean that John would also have been a priest? Would he have been serving as a priest eventually? That's the first part of the question. I don't. Well, the Bible doesn't say. I don't know if he was going to be. He's certainly in that line, but he was executed before that. If that was going to happen, he was executed before it did. Yeah. Okay. I suppose he was still, in a way, a priest to Israel, wasn't he? Bringing the word of God to them. And having said that. He was a new type of priest in that he was showing the way, and that was this is just a comment preparing the way for a new type of priest Jesus, because he was not going to be doing in the earthly temple what he does in heaven as our priest who stands before God. Is that right? I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, if I understand you correctly, Jesus is said to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, so I suppose he is a type of priest, yeah, mm. forever. Mm, as an intermediary, removing our sin, I suppose, yeah. perfectly. Mm. Thank you. That's it? Okay, I thought there were four. <laughs> Double-barreled ones, that's good. Thanks, Alan. And just I'm on my way over, if you want to get on with that proclamation work that John did, Alan actually uh, does a whole lot of work with Crossroads Prison Ministries. He doesn't just show up at prisons randomly, uh, which is a ministry to people in prisons, uh, and they need people now. That There's more prisoners who want to do a Bible course and have a mentor than we have mentors for. So if, if you'd like to be part of that work, go see Alan, because he doesn't spruik it enough. That's good. Alan, you think um, last week, Liam, we read that Mary was actually with Elizabeth, and I'm assuming Zachariah, for three months. She wasn't told that she was going to be the mother of Jesus until six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, then she had to travel. Do you think that 
Zachariah used the past tense because he had experienced Mary being in his presence for the last three months and seeing her early pregnancy. Oh, I see. In the, those first verses of his prophecy where he says he, he has visited us and he has redeemed us. Well, yeah, I suppose you could take it that way. I wouldn't be adamant, but um, yeah, I tend to think he's... I think there is an element in the Bible sometimes where they, it's, not, it's not unprecedented where people look at the promises of God and talk about them as if they've already happened. I think that's, that's else. I just can't think where, but I think I've seen that elsewhere in the Bible. But I'm not going to, you know, you may be right. I went the other way. I didn't think of that alternative. No, no, that's, I think that's right. When did salvation appear? Well, was it the conception of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the raising of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus? This, it's Jesus. So, coming up, Musos.